Suzanne Pedersen in her ninth Solheim Cup with this to win the trophy. Welcome everyone to the ninth tee. You know, this week it's an off week. We're two weeks away from LPGA Tour action returning, but so much news was dumped like a dump truck. Had to talk about all of it with the one, the only, Mr. Ben Hartbring of womensgolf.com. Mr. Ben, how are you? Kent, I'm doing great. I'm still trying to process all of this information that's been dropped over the last week or so. How are you doing? I'm doing well. One, let's start with the GOAT, Annika Sorenstam, making her return. Where were you and what were you thinking when you realized, oh my goodness, she's making her first start as a player since 2008. She's back. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure I, I was sitting in my room and just scrolling social media and it was like, just all wait, of a sudden wait, people sit in their room and scroll social media during a pandemic. I would never, you know, I hadn't done much of it lately, but actually <laughs> if lately goes back to 2019, then yeah. But, <laughs> um, but yes, that is what I was doing. And it was like, all of a sudden my newsfeed was filled. It was like, Annika's back, Annika's back, Annika's back. The go is back. And yeah, I, it is one of those things that I'm just, part of me is not surprised because we, we know that golf is that, that lifelong sport. You can play a long time. She seems to have gotten very comfortable with where she's at in her life, you know, traveling, going to um, different charity events and, and the work that she does for women's golf and her Donica foundation, but her kids are, you know, they're they're getting a little bit older and as far meaning that she doesn't have to like you know change her diapers anymore so and she is as we know one of the greatest competitors that's ever lived so home course i think we'll get to that but we, the first event it's going to be there at her home course it seems like if she had a chance to compete this would be the place to play at but to be short, to go all the way back, my initial reaction was like, whoa, I'm kind of shocked, <laughs> but excited, excited to see her compete again. What about you? Being her home course, the home of the original Solheim Cup as well, Lake Nona's got a lot of history behind it. And she's talked about how her son, Will, has really gotten into the game. And what a moment it is for her kids to see mom play in action, right? She was in the celebrity division at the Diamond Resorts Tournament of Champions, but it's another for your kids to be cognizant of you performing. Suzanne Pedersen mentioned how important it was for her son to see her at the Solheim Cup, but it was the little baby who's not going to remember that specific moment. Sure, you know, down the road, watching highlights, okay, I was there, but it's not the same thing as watching and going, wow, my mom can compete. And Man, there's there's a lot of pressure on this event, Ben. She hasn't missed a cut. She's going for consecutive make cut number 50. No pressure or anything. <laughs> but she's she's playing this to get some more tournament reps 
for a potential U.S. Senior Women's Open appearance. She turned 50, so this is an opportunity for her to get some reps. And 72 wins, very impressive. Statistic that impressed me the most looking up all of her past history, in her 300-plus career starts, she finished in the top 10 in 68% of them. (laughs) 68%. Just walk on the course and put it put it in pen. She's going to be at the top of the leaderboard. Say hello. <laughs> oh, what? So nearly seven out of every ten events, she's getting a top ten. So and with with her too, it, it was one of those things when she was playing. You know, I was very young when she was playing. But with those seventy two wins in the top 68 percent of her starts. You could like if she finished in the top fifteen or top twenty, it'd be like, "Yo, what's wrong with Annika? <laughs> like, what's going on this week? Like, something must be terribly wrong. She's not, she's not even in the top ten. That's just so wild. Um, and to think too, and it's one of those things. I think we all do this in sports. Sometimes moments like this happens, where a great, great athlete will come back and our expectations of their play might be too high. I don't know. I don't know if there's any expectations to me. I know this is a question we could probably talk about and debate to me. I just want to enjoy watching a legend tee it up. That's what I'm going to try to take away from this week. Would it surprise me if she did something wild, like finish in the top 10? That seems like a stretch because that does seem like a stretch. It does seem like a stretch. Like this field is, is going to be good. Like we're going to get to yes. it. It's going to be good. Um, but sports is funny, right? Like some, I mean, stranger things have happened, but overall I'm just going to look, I'm looking forward to just seeing her tee it up and seeing how the other LPGA tour players that she plays alongside, how they kind of react to playing with Annika. Cause I think, at the tournament champions earlier this year, when she was competing in the celebrity division, all the players that played with her, they, they were like, Oh my gosh, even the ones that didn't play with her, they were posing for pictures with her. And it's just like, it's Annika. It's, it's the goat. <laughs> we It's, it's just something special. It'll be interesting to see what she learns and takes away. She looks back on this event, preparing for the U S senior women's open and you're absolutely right. Like you want to appreciate those moments with legends. And I'm really fascinated to see what her betting odds are going to be. There's no way she'll be in dead last in betting odds, but I also don't think she has any chance of winning. It's going to be interesting to see what name recognition does to drive up her odds within that market. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I have no idea. Like that's going to be a very difficult job. It's kind of one of those things like you just like, put some respect on her name. It's like, you can't put her <laughs> last or near the bottom, but she also isn't like a... I, I mean, a, you could. Okay, you could. could. You could, but... <laughs> but the respect, man. By the way, Hall of Famer, Annika Sorenstam, I'm sure that you said that when you introduced her, but I just want to throw that out there. I, I think I said GOAT. I think GOAT is above Hall of Fame. In our hierarchy of That's adjectives, true. I guess there is only one goat, or supposed to be. Supposed to be. Supposed to be. This, this is not a goat debate podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
that's always one of the funniest discourse discussions of all time of you know who's who's the greatest at their respective sport man but that that's a sidebar we don't have to dive into speaking of other goats of eras yanni sen is back yes definitely less well known than anika but my goodness second most weeks all time at number one in the world and they were all consecutive 109 straight weeks from february 2011 to march 2013 15-time winner five-time major champion made her last start in the lpga tour at the lote championship in hawaii in 2019 and has since acknowledged how many demons have faced her when she fell off from her peak which was monstrous which was so much energy for the tour just didn't know how to climb back. Beth Ann Nichols detailed in her profile on her for Golf Week about how right after she left Hawaii and went back home, she went on a 10-day retreat, no technology, you know, nothing connecting her to the outside world, and just cried for five days straight, just letting all these demons go. It man, golf, golf is a game between your ears. And when demons are hanging out there, it's an awfully hard sport it hasn't translated to success for her yet she's made six starts on the taiwan lpga tour hasn't had any notable performances made five out of six cuts her best finish was tied for 28th at the taiwan mobile ladies open and you're just hoping for someone who was once number one in the world currently 919th to have some opportunity to climb her way back up the mountain yeah, I do want to go back real quick. When you said less known than Annika, that is true on a global scale, but I wanted to point out that it is relative that in Taiwan or Chinese Taipei, as Beth Ann, you know, very, her article is very good that she just did recently on Yanni, but there were times she could not get out of her car without literally being surrounded by just people, media. And regular people, like she was arguably one of the most recognizable, if not the most recognizable person in all of Taiwan or Chinese Taipei. And in reaching that number one status, like it is, it's incredible. And I think that she did, and you mentioned, she battled those demons. Um, it's exciting to see her back. To me, I always love to see athletes that as if you guys listen to this podcast you know that i i talked about lydia co a lot last year <laughs> and just seeing her kind of make some moves she didn't get that win she didn't get that win but she definitely we we saw her game trending making big improvements getting closer to the winner's circle so to me personally i love seeing these these i don't know if it's quite a redemption story but i love seeing yanni get back into it like take another shot at it, get back out there on the tour, play the sport that she's played her entire life, played at a super high level, 919th in the world. It is pretty remarkable. Like that number to me is so, it's pretty mind boggling to be honest, because if I go back in time and I had to, to think about this a little bit, but when I really first started watching the LPGA tour, my earliest memories of watching the LPGA tour was when Yanni was dominating the tour. That was between 2011 and 2013. Uh, I was about 15 years old at the time. It's like I started to 
to watch more LPGA golf and, and ex- expand my bubble from just NBA and NFL <laughs> and some MLB is like, I want to watch some more things. And Yanni, it was like, you could not, not see her. Like she was literally dominating. It's one of the most dominant stretches of golf we've ever seen. We've seen players go through these different stretches, but she did. It was a super dominant stretch. And if you told me that, you know, eight, let's see, last time she was number one in the world, 2013, eight years later, she'd be down to 919th in the world. I just wouldn't believe it'd be that big a fall. No one maintains that peak level for forever. Like it's extremely difficult to do. But to drop all the way to 919th and still playing professionally, like if you told me that, I just wouldn't have believed it. So I'm excited to see her back in the field. Excited to see her back on the LPGA Tour for sure. You were mentioning comparing Yanni to Lydia Ko. Ko won in 2018 in San Francisco. Yanni hasn't won since 2012. She has had some runs of play where she's been in contention. Her last one was she finished the top five three out of four events in late 2015 from August to October. Now, her last one was tied for second of the LPGA KED Honda Bank Championship. Six years later, <laughs> what a comeback it would be. And it's, you know, what's harder to get to the top of the mound the first time or to return after you've fallen off so difficultly and to make a PGA Tour comparison, right? Why are people so enamored with Jordan Spieth? This guy played so well early on in his career, and he's still very young in his PGA Tour career, but hoping to see him go from Masters champion to this epic swoon (laughs) to now in contention back-to-back weeks, that's what draws people to sports, right? Is can you make that comeback? Can you make that return? And that's what I assume most people are hoping for with Yanni because that's so many demons that she's fought of just finding a way to get back to this, this youthful playing the game for competition's sake, rather than stressing about everything else about every outcome that comes out of that competitive state. That's such a difficult mindset to switch back to. Yeah. So so that is a very good point. I should in Lydia's case, I like to point out to a lot of people, she did get a lot of flack. She never really, the only thing that changed with her was that she just wasn't winning. She was still posting lots of top 25s, lots of top 20s, and even quite a few top 10s. She just wasn't crossing the finish line. So she didn't really fall off, fall off. The Jordan Spieth comparison is a pretty good one, like to to go off a very significant drop off and and then battle demons like, Actually, that's something that Yanni, like if you if reading some of the article that Beth Ann wrote too, it's like Yanni was battling miss off the tee. She didn't know which way. She didn't know if it's going to go left. She didn't know if it was going to go right. Um, she's She was one of the longest hitters on the tour for a long time. We talk about not being able to relate to players with how good they're playing. I can relate to not knowing where the miss is going to be. And it's brutal. A hundred percent. And that's just on our like... I mean, I, I can relate too to that. And that's just on a like weekend 18, not doing it for my job. <laughs> the pressure level is approximately zero. Exactly. So the the frustration that you and I could feel just on a on a no pressure just for fun weekend round, 
versus someone who was who gained as much status and stature in golf and in her country, her home country. She just was that superstar, like to reach that level and then to kind of go as far down as she did. Um, it, yeah, I I hope that this is just the, the beginning for her of a you know mounting her charge back up that mountain. I don't know if she'll ever reach the very top again. I think that's a very significant significantly difficult thing to do but i love to see her start making some strides up it anyway it'd be it it'll be good to see her back out there it'd be good for the game for yanni to make a comeback speaking of players making debuts gabby ruffles turns pro ruffles the chip you've got a great sponsorship opportunity i haven't seen it yet so there's a little bit of ridges in your marketing department but (laughs) She forwent her senior year at USC. Come on, Ben. That was one of the better jokes. That was one of the better ones. I I will give you credit for that. For For once. This may be the only time this year. It's pretty early because it's like our only one of our first few. I'll take that in February. (laughs) But the Australian, by the way, you want to feel old. She's born in 2000. And great amateur career. Won the 19 U.S. Women's Am, had that heartbreaking short putt miss against Rose Zhang to defend her title in the 20 U.S. Women's Am. I remember Kay Cockrell's call of that and just the pure shock in her voice when she witnessed this short putt just power lip out. That's a tough moment, but overall, she's done really well on the tour and majors in particular last year. Tied for 15th as an amateur at the ANA Inspiration, tied for 13th at the U.S. Women's Open. And that may have been the ultimate sign that she's ready for prime time. For sure. You know, Gabby has been, it's pretty meteoric rise. I think I actually used that word properly. You're the big word guy, but she, she started golf late. She was such a successful tennis player, even into her teenage years. And then she's like, Oh, I'm going to play golf. And wow. Like she, she just so impressive to watch play. Um, Obviously, the thing about the USAM and the US Women's AM, it's not a fluke. Like you don't reach a final, you don't win a final, let alone get to back to back without you being legit. Um, even in one, it's just so you go through the stroke play and then you go through match play. You can't fake your way around that that kind of golf. So she showed the game in her amateur career and and then as the amateur, she got to play in a couple majors. And yeah, like you said, she played really well. It To me, that this was pretty much the next step, um, turning professional. And I think kind of lining everything up. I think she, she made the announcement with a, a Nike sponsorship, Nike golf sponsorship. Not too bad. Take that. Um it is how cool is it too it's like i i'm not in any way saying that she's and i can compare to the goat annika sorenstam but what a cool week it's going to be where you have a very promising young player like gabby making her the start of her career and then one of the greatest the greatest of all time making a very special appearance in the same event like it just seems like to me, this week's going to be very special, and I'm excited to see what Gabby does. What if it? What if there's a Gabby Annika pairing? That'd be pretty fun. That would be <laughs> enjoyable. 
And the thing with Gabby playing on a sponsor's invite is she's facing the same path Yulimi No faced when she elected to turn pro, but without LPGA Tour status, right? Q Series didn't happen in 2020 because of the pandemic. So she's going to have to either A, rely on these sponsor invites, or B, Monday qualify in and have that be the opening bridge to getting starts on the LPGA Tour until she either wins finishes top 40 on the money list without membership to gain from her car for 22 or go through Q series. And that hasn't been announced. It's going to happen yet. Imagine it will, but neither of us know as of now. So those are her direct avenues as of now to getting onto the LPGA tour. So it's going to be interesting to watch how many starts she can earn as a professional in the early going. And obviously opening up at Lake Dona where there's plenty of players making their starts, including the world number one, Jin Young Ko. So I guess that's uh-oh spaghettio for the rationale for that money title bet, huh, Ben? <laughs> yes, which was, uh, wait, is that, a sh- are you, are you referring that to me? You didn't pick Jin Young, did you? No, the, no, I did not. I picked Brooke Henderson and Lexi Thompson based on the fact I expected both of them to make more starts Oh, right, right, right. Clearly, clearly off base here. But also, I don't think I could have bet on Jin Young at 3-1 to one to win this. I think 3-1 to one for any individual player to win this, that's just not pricing in enough risk for injury, which Jin Young did have, by the way, in 2019, which slowed down her performance. She still won the money title, of course, but just random things that could happen. That's just that there's just too much unknown to bid on anyone at three to one for a season long award. Yeah. And that's fair. Even though she did win the money title in four events in 2020, but um, there yeah. are, there are a lot more events this year. So on one hand, that means she could run away with the money title title. If she went on the same pace that she did last year, on the other hand, it gives a lot of other players, such as I think you picked Brooke Henderson, someone who thrives on making a lot of starts and playing. She just loves to play a lot of golf. So, yeah, it, it's it's kind of interesting. I think Jin Young possibly, I don't know, I haven't talked to her in too much detail about this, but having so much of last year, quote-unquote, off, she did make some starts on the KLPGA Tour. But I think when she came back, when she did finally last year, she realized, okay, this is how it's going to work. She learned a little bit of her process of how she can do things safely in LPGA, how safely they're doing things. And like, let's get this show on the road. Like I'm, I'm ready to be competing as often as I physically can. And as often as, uh, you know, I, as often as she wants to be out there. Joining her coming back from South Korea, Seyang Kim, number two in the world. The reigning rookie of the year, Jungwon Lee six, because no one won the award last year. And of course, Sung Hyun Park, who was our betting darling of 2020, who unfortunately never panned out. Be interested to see her odds again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all of them. Well, Sung Hyun, we'll talk about Sung Hyun real quick. I, I feel good. I still have a lot of optimism about her and her game. Although you're an optimistic person, sir. 
that i am i think sometimes is there is there a player you don't have optimistic feelings about their game with <laughs> uh to be on like 100 percent honest i don't think so and if there was one i would never like put them down but it's like to me look if you make it to the professional level especially the lpga tour the highest level you can reach in women's golf you got to do something right Obviously, there's players that are better than others, but I am a very optimistic person. And look, in the case of Sung Hyun, I have seen her peak, and she's one of just a handful of players. I think like her and Aria and Jin Young and Sae Young, and I'm probably missing someone else. But if they're each of those players, if they're hitting on all cylinders, it's some of the best golf you'll see anywhere ever. And it's hard to pick against them. And that's the great thing about golf. Maybe not so great. It'd be cool to see everyone firing all cylinders, um, at least sometimes. But those periods of time can can change. It's like, oh, this year it was, like in 2018, it was Aria. She was firing all cylinders. And then in 2019, it was Jin Young firing all cylinders. And then in 2020, it was Danielle but Danielle Kang, but then Young like had the longer run. So it, you know, that's, that's the cool thing about golf. So to me, Sung Hyun, until she hangs it up or until something completely changes, I will continue to have a lot of optimism about her. <laughs> I just want to get that on record, but we also got Ben Caddy sources here building off of the KPMG women's PGA championship and the PGA championship for the men Announcing that range finders will be allowed, the president of the PGA America, Jim Richardson, in a press release stated, we're always interested in methods that may help improve the flow of play during our championships. The use of distance measuring devices is already common within the game and is now a part of the rules of golf. Players and caddies have long used them during practice rounds to gather relevant yardages. And that's where I don't agree with his rationale. He's right. They're used in practice rounds. That's a fact. But in terms of interested in speeding up the pace of play, I don't see that. And I think the people we've talked to who carry bags also don't see it picking up the pace. It's going to slow everything down. Well, to be honest, I've heard actually some of the opposite. I think there is a mixed, literal mixed bag on this. I think some people, it will help with pace of play. And in certain situations, it'll help pace of play. But the thing is, and this is what I think. I think at the very beginning, at least, what happens when anything new gets instituted? You remember when the the ball drop went from shoulder height to knee height? How many players kept after their entire golf lives of going shoulder height? I think it was Ricky Fowler, I think, was maybe the most notable one. He made a bad, like a bad drop because he just, he forgot. He's like, oh, the rule changed. So this is a little bit different. It's not like necessarily a penalty, but what I'm saying is that as far as getting yardages, when you're in tournament play, I think caddies, especially caddies that have been out there a long time and, and then players too, to an extent, but they have their way of getting yardages and getting numbers. And that's been using the book. That's been walking things off. I think they'll use... And a lot of times the the flag isn't the it's in a very important, if not the most important number. But they're usually looking at 
carry numbers, getting over bunkers, front of the green, how, like what's the distance to the front of the green. Um, and a lot of those- that will point, st- right? You're not going to go away from the book because that's the data you need, right? You need to know, okay, maybe you'll use the range finder for the lip of the bunker and the flag, but that's not the landed number, right? You need to know, okay, how much distance is there between the pin and our line, the and the green on our line. So you're still going to look at the book. To me, from whom I've talked to, it's just going to be a confirmation step for now. And I buy that because also, you know, even if it slows pace of play down and people are up in arms about the pace of play in golf tournaments, that's only in the moment, right? You think about the historic moments in golf. Like one of my favorite LPGA memories where I was there in person was Hannah Green's bunker shot on the 72nd hole. Like what a crucial up and down it was for her to win her first title, her first major championship. I don't remember her and her caddy talking through the shot. I don't remember how long they took to plan it. I just remember the shot and the outcome and going, holy crap, she might pull this off. (laughs) And so with that, like this focus on pace of play, it's important. And for the TV product, sure. But overall, in terms of, you know, this process and adding an extra step, it's not going to be remembered either. It's just, I'd rather we be honest about, okay, we, we agree. Technology is evolving. We should allow this. That's valid. I also agree that they're not using sloped range finders. Definitely good to not use that. That's a, that, that's oversimplifying things. Although I guess you could say it's oversimplifying things to use a range finder. So that may be a counterproductive yeah. <laughs> argument in and of itself, but you're adapting technology, which is good. Also a line of argument they don't use about distance and golf balls and how far you can hit with a driver, but that's it's all in separate tangent that doesn't relate to the LPG right now. <laughs> yeah. But you think about adopting the technology, just it's fine, right? I'm not so stressed about the pace of play outcome versus just being a little bit honest that this probably won't increase pace of play. We're just adapting a new technology and maybe down the road it might. I'm open to being not 100% in this camp, but I, I don't see it as of now. Yeah, and and I don't know. When they talk about pace of play, I, I agree for the most part. I'm not sure. This isn't like an end-all, be-all. If they all of a sudden said, hey, we're using range find. You can use range finders now, but you can no longer walk off yardages. Okay, because you have that quick response of getting a number then okay, well, if you force that on everybody, that would surely speed up some kind of play, probably, but that would never, like, that would not go over with anybody. Imagine how you would enforce that. <laughs> you, you couldn't. Like, There's a rules official in every group. No, 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 you don't take two steps forward. No, apparently you couldn't. <laughs> so I'm saying, like, yeah, like, it's just, there really is it, and at least... At the beginning, I, I will say, like, I don't know how this maybe players will find out that, you know, it is more like when they play at home, their their practice rounds at their home course or and I don't think it will get to that point. Just don't quite know. But I like some of the, the professional players that I've seen posting about it on Twitter and, and Instagram, other places like if pace of play is really like the end goal that you're trying to, to fix. It all comes down to enforcing pace of play like no one 
I should say no one, but it rarely gets penalized to the point where it forces people to actually get faster. <laughs> like it never seems that way, at least to me. And the times that I have seen it, it's never the, it's always a player that's, you know, one of the lowest ranked players in the field. It's like, oh, someone who's already kind of, it, they don't, it's like they want to enforce the rule to some on somebody, but not someone who's in contention. You rarely see someone who's in contention get slapped with a slow play penalty, even though it happens all the time <laughs> and in whatever level of golf you're playing. So, yeah, I mean, anyway, the, it, it's going to be interesting. I think social media will be on fire about because it already was a little bit when they made the announcement. And then when they actually see professionals out there with range finders on TV, that first, I don't know, there will be a reaction to it, I'm sure, but it's probably most likely going to be kind of lost in the not be as big a deal moving forward after people see it a few times. It's going to be part of the game. Along with other changes to major championships, the informally named Sophia Popoff rule has been enforced. It is no longer a two-year exception if you're not a member of the tour when you win. It's now five years. You get the same benefit as if you were a member of the LPGA Tour when you win a major championship. And also, all CME points are allocated to you as if you were a member at the point of the major victory. Had that been the case last year, Popoff would have played in the CME Group Tour Championship. And now that's fixed. And we've talked about before multiple times this question, whether or not they should change it. It's good they changed it. This is a valid, you should reward major champions with membership on the tour. It's just interesting that this is what's caused the change. It's happened multiple times before, as Commissioner Wan said in his initial statement back when people were questioning this decision at the ANA Inspiration. So is this, it's interesting, what is it, that classic slippery slope argument that enough people got up in arms about it and that's what caused the change rather than this is the right thing to do. And that's the the only hesitancy I have about this. It's the right thing, but was it gone about the correct way? Yeah, and it to me, this is a one of the more interesting scenarios too. Because if you look at at some of the past examples, maybe there was a little bit of bias, and I don't mean that like a racial bias, but as far as like skill level bias, world ranking bias, like when Sophia won, she was not an LPJ tour member. In fact, she was a Symmetra tour member, so she hadn't necessarily been making like big splash on a like a high level whereas some past examples like Inji Chun when she won the U.S. Women's Open or Hyoju Kim early in her career um, I think when she won Evian like they were very good players and it was very I think it seemed like well they're gonna get their membership anyways I don't know if that's the case or not I don't know if that's what happened and what's frustrating right is Popoff finished one shot out of status to Q series Finished mm-hmm. tied for 46th. If she finished one stroke better, I don't think this change would have happened. <laughs> You're and right. That, and that's the flaw in the logic, right? Yeah. It took it took something like this to happen to enforce the change. You know, I think about things that should be changed without needing something to happen to cause the change. How many times have we talked about the Hall of Fame points, right? Like <laughs> Is, is it going to take a player officially retiring like 
Dame Laura Davies, who's making a start in Gamebridge, officially putting the sticks down for her to, you know, for the tour to realize, oh, yeah, she should be a Hall of Famer here, right? Like that's, you know, being proactive about decision making versus reactive would be great. For sure. And just real quick about Dame Laura Davies. Oh, you know, she's one of the coolest people you could ever like be around and watching her. Like she's still teeing it up. Like this is, you know, she's played a long time and kind of like we've seen in with Derek Jeter and baseball and Dwayne Wade in basketball, Vince Carter a little bit in basketball, but kind of giving them like a cele- celebrating them while they're still in the game. I know that was that had to do with their retirement, but it's like, hey, this is my last year. Everywhere you go, people celebrate you for that. It's just definitely a different scenario, a different case. But giving her the credit of being a Hall of Famer while she's still out there to be appreciated as a Hall of Famer, like it'd be really cool to see Hall of Famer Dame Laura Davies teeing it up like at this event or this event while she's still out there doing it. I think those events are going to continue. I think they're going to just go down. Like they're going to be fewer. Um, It's kind of like an artist. Like a lot of the great artists of all time don't get their full appreciation and love until after they're gone. And like, I just wish that we could appreciate people more while they're still in that moment and deserve it. So maybe this got a little little bit off topic, but (laughs) love a good tangent. But with Sophia Popov, you know, she had some good humor about it. I think she shared a post like, you can, like, the rule that I help inspire change, something like that. And it did, unfortunately, they didn't make it retroactive and, like, apply that to her. But I do think that she feels very happy about the situation that this won't happen potentially to another player if the situation does arise again. So, yeah, that in that case, like that's good. Speaking of CME points, that is the new basis for status on the LPGA Tour starting this year, changing from the official money list. And a player that highlights the the importance of this change, if you will, was Maria Fossi in 2019. She elected to finish out her senior year in college, then started on tour, made her debut at the U.S. Women's Open where the, that tournament, the major, bumped up its purse by $500,000 shortly before the start of the tournament, right? That was out of any player's control that had happened. And, of course, every player wants to be in a major, but the value of that major for your status jumped up because of that announcement. With switching to CME points, purse size doesn't matter. These kind of announcements don't affect the, the value of the tournament for retaining status, and so because of that bump up in purse and her tie for 12th finish, she earned over $100,000. She's earned over one third of her career earnings from that event alone. She <laughs> finished 98th in official money. But she finished 131st in CME points. And the way LPGA Tour status works is it's one tier if you've finished first through 80th on the official money list. That's another tier from 80th to 100th where the next year you're probably going to get in the most fields. And then there's a huge drop-off after 100. 101st, 125th, you're struggling to get into events. And she would have been outside of that. Her status, if it was CME points, she would have been in the 350s on the priority list. Right now she's 128th because status rolled over 
from what you earned in 2019 to this year because of the pandemic. And so, you know, that U.S. Women's Open purse was one million more than any other major championship. The AIG Women's British Open, which announced a 40% increase that year, by the way, was four and a half million in USD in their purse. So, man, it's just, I appreciate the, the smoothing out, if you will, of events, right? That it's not dictated by sponsors what your value and your opportunity to play might be the next year. It's consistent event to event. It is more for a major than a regular tournament. I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the way I feel about it too is it, it reminds me a little bit of the institution of Q series over the Q school by extending it to the eight rounds. It not that the players when during normal Q school and you just had the five rounds to go through. It's not like you can luck your way through it completely, but when you're at that level, you make it to stage three, like you're very, obviously you can play golf at a very high level and you can just have a week where you, you put it all together. And next thing you know, you get status now PGA tour, but maybe that five day stretch or a couple really good days that you had during that five days isn't necessarily defining you as a golfer on the, in the long run. When you when they change it to eight rounds, it's like, hey, you you have to play very solid golf for eight rounds, and you can't really fake that too much. Like that's a long, grueling process, physically and mentally, which are two things that you really need if you're going to play on the LPGA tour. So, latest the CME, it's like basing stuff status on CME points. I think that does give you a better maybe tell me if you agree, but it gives you a better feel of how players are doing throughout the course of a season, as opposed to like, it's great. It's great. in like Maria's case where she had an awesome week at the US women's open. That's awesome. And she got a great big payday, but there were some players that really played significantly better than her throughout the season. And they, some of those players didn't even make it or retain status because maybe they didn't even have the opportunity. Um, which you know, to play in one of those big events like the US Women's Open with the big purse. So I think it'll just show, it'll give the opportunity for players that play well and consistently well throughout the course of the year, a more fair chance to move on um, and to retain that status, keep their job. Feel free to check out episode 11, our Q-series in-depth feature for more understanding of that mental grind, that physical test. But you're, you're dead on about it's more a more accurate portrayal of how well you played over the course of the season rather than official money being reliant on sponsors deciding how much they're going to put up. Speaking of sponsors putting up money, Cognizant, the Founders Cup, announces a $3 million purse for the tournament. The LPGA's average purse size is $2.25 million. That's that is a hundred thousand shy of the ANA Inspirations purse. That is a substantial purse for a non-major event. The Aberdeen Standard Investments Lady Scottish Open is no longer sponsored by Aberdeen Standard Investments. Their run is over after 13 years. But that's the kind of long-run trend you're looking for to grow women's golf. You have companies step up, increase purse sizes, give women more opportunities, and credit to cognizant sponsoring one of the marquee events of Mike Wan's tenure was creating the Founders Cup to honor 
those that created the LPGA tour. Yeah, it seems pretty fitting, right? Like it, it's, I think one of Commissioner Juan's big events that he loved creating an event for the founders, celebrating those that created the tour. And then also in his farewell year, we, we don't know exactly when he will be officially, you know, stepping down, but these are the kind of moves that were very common throughout his tenure was finding partners for the LPGA that believe in women and believe in these in the LPGA and boosting purse sizes and three million dollars that's it went I think it went from 1.5 to three that's doubling the purse size and I think they at the same time they decided to do a partnership with the PGA tour they simultaneously did this partnership with the LPGA tour which is awesome and to me that's what companies that's that's the future right there like start paying attention to start believing in start helping push women and women's athletes to the forefront of things. And I think that's, that's really awesome. And shout out one of my famous shout outs, shout out to Cognizant. The final rubber stamp of Mike Wan on this podcast episode. Anyway, the LET schedule announced after the LET and the LPG announced a strategic partnership, 27 events, five new stroke play events, a record 19 million euros announced in purse size. And that's growing the game not only domestically, but abroad for Commissioner Juan. Yeah, which is just, it's incredible. We, we've seen, I think it's very well known, the growth of golf in Asia, in Korea, in Japan, um, Yanni over there in, in Taiwan, uh, the Jutanyagars in, in Thailand, but European golf, like, you know, why the Solheim Cup originally began? It's Europe versus the U.S. Like, golf in Europe has been it's the home of golf like they're in in scotland and uh england so but it had struggled financially there for the last two years and to see this partnership the lpga with the let and to see this new schedule it's really really cool to see uh there's a lot of great players that are over there playing in europe and if you don't have the opportunity to to play for money to keep your job going to keep the ability especially with the way seasons are in in europe you know you have some long cold winters and your warmer golf seasons are not aren't necessarily as long so expanding the events and and also locations i know they do some some events like in the middle east and i think they go out to asia for a few and they might even be making a trip i think i saw to new york city for a European tour event, ladies European tour event. So yeah, absolutely awesome to see and see the continued growth of women's golf. So is the New York Stock Exchange now listed in Europe? <laughs> I don't know. This is going over my head. It's too much. It's too much. I'm not sure. <laughs> Great to see the growth of the women's game here and abroad. Ben, is there any news that we missed? <laughs> That was you know, a lot. <laughs> you know, to be honest, there probably is something, but I because there's so much, but I feel like we hit most of the big points. You know, there's a lot, and I'm looking forward to seeing Annika compete again and seeing the LPGA back on a regular schedule. We'll see. We'll see. We are still in the midst of a pandemic, but 
out of all this news, I, I'm really excited for 2021. It'll be fun. We'll be back next week with an interview with Christina Kim, our second part of talking about playing during the COVID pandemic with a rookie and a veteran. And the week after that, Ben, golf back. Cambridge. Back in play. Excited to talk then. Talk to you then.